<clears throat> well, a few weeks ago, <clears throat> we began a series called Discovering Real Joy. In the first week, we spent a lot of time defining joy, what it is, what it isn't. And we discussed the background of what is often called the joy book of the Bible, the book of Philippians. I explained that the inspired author of the book, the Apostle Paul, was sitting in a Roman dungeon with chains hanging from the shackles around his wrists even as he tried to write about joy. Within the book of Philippians, at least four major secrets to real joy are easily discovered. Over the past two weeks, we discussed the first of those secrets, which is fellowship. Fellowship. We do well to remember that this book we are studying was originally a letter written to one specific local church. The individuals in this church were committed to fellowship as a spiritual family. They were committed to each other, and that brought them joy. Today, we will look at a second secret discovering, to discovering real joy, and this one is actually a personal discipline that is something you must work on individually. The second secret is focus. Focus. Focus is more and more a challenge in this world. Would you agree with that in this world with over, you know, constant information, constant overstimulation? An enormous amount of discipline will be required if you really want the power of focus to be unlocked in your life. As with most disciplines with focus, the beginning is the hardest part. You know, we have to make a shift. We have to let something become habit. And that's the hardest part. Now the question you should already be asking is this, what am I to focus upon in order to find joy? Should I just think happy thoughts? Should I search for the void through some kind of Zen Buddhist-like uh, transcendental meditation? <clears throat> Should I work to empty my mind until I find the place of absolute nothingness? Maybe I should focus on my goals. Um, should, I, should I keep my mind's eye <clears throat> on the things that I want, uh, the desires that I have, my dreams, my hopes for life? Maybe I should focus on the stuff that I want to have until it becomes mine. Ever heard of the law of attraction? Yeah, not, mm-hmm, yeah. Should I, uh, should I put pictures around my house of, of, the, of, of things that I want, like the motor homes and my dreams and, you know, just believe that somehow they'll just magically um, filter into my life as long as I think about them enough um, should I focus on education, maybe? Knowledge. I just need more knowledge. I just need to understand. I need enlightenment. Personal growth. Some of us have only one thing that we can focus on, and that would be babies. They take a little focus. Should my focus be on politics? Well, the answer to all those questions is a big, fat no. (laughs) And hopefully you see in the fact that there are so many things not to focus 
on that focusing on the right things may take some effort. You see, not just any focus will do if you want to discover real joy. And based on the joylessness I see around me in the world, and sometimes even in the church, it would seem most people are quite adept at focusing on the wrong things. Today we're going to learn where the Bible would direct our focus, and we will see that in doing so we can discover joy. One way we could overview Philippians is to look at areas of focus. In chapter 1 we see a focus on the work of God. In chapter 3 the focus is on our eternal future. And in the final chapter, there's a call to focus on the truly good things in life. Let's take a look at each of these areas of focus. First, to discover real joy in your life, focus on the work. The work, I'm talking about the job we have to do, the mission, the calling, the getting out there and getting God's stuff done. By the way, what is the mission? of Go Church. I'm looking for a four-word phrase with three out of the four words starting with the letter C. Anyone? With, with Christ. Way to go out on a limb in, in faith there. You got it, you got it. Connecting community with Christ. That's our mission. That's what we're trying to do here, connecting community with Christ. And I honestly do believe this should not only be the mission of of the church, of our church, but your own mission as well. Bring Jesus to people and bring people to Jesus. That's what we're all about. Or did you not realize what you signed up for when you decided to be a follower of Jesus? Newsflash, following Jesus means living out your life on his mission to seek and to save that which has been lost. And here's the point for today. When you focus on his mission, that work that he has for you to do, you can find some of the joy that you may have been missing. We don't need to focus on the latest wind of doctrine or some new way of interpreting an obscure verse of Scripture. We don't need to focus on what someone believes is their own manifestation of a spiritual gift, especially when it seems the goal of said gift is to make said person look more spiritual. We don't need to focus most of our time on the nuances of the law written to the Hebrew people 4,000 years ago, and we probably don't need to all be focused on learning Greek. What we need to focus on is the work. There are so many confused Christians out there today. Misguided warriors, I I sometimes call them. Many of their heads in the clouds because of some new supposed unveiling of prophecy or some twisting of grace into license or some call to return to Old Testament legalism. Some are all bound up in mysteries that no one on earth understands. These less than joyful, confused Christians are always into some new way of thinking or some need to return to the old paths or whatever it is that they think the rest of the church needs to come to understand. Most people wrapped up in this kind of thing would be better off if they refocused themselves on the work that we are left here on this earth to do. 
Listen, we're not left on this earth to bicker over prophecy or a debate theology or to be swayed by some new biblical interpretation. We are left here to do the work. We are left here to know Jesus and make him known. We're left here to spread the good news about salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And uh, today I'm telling you, along with the Apostle Paul, that you can discover real joy when you focus on the work. <clears throat> Y'all pray for me today. I'm, I, the, I've been dealing with this for two months, and it is hard to concentrate when every five seconds you need to cough. I, it is really, really making it hard for me. It's bad today, <clears throat> just constantly. There's a tickle right there. Is anybody else dealing with this right now? Can I just get some, some love on that? Okay, so try preaching with it. It is really distracting for me. So, so thanks for your prayers, and bear with me today. <clears throat> Maybe this thing will help. What's that? <laughs> right, do I look, look like I'm chewing now? Okay. All right, we're going to get to the Scripture now. How about that? Philippians chapter 1. Starting with verse 21, or 20. Chapter 1, verse 20, Philippians. For I live in eager expectation and hope that I will never do anything that causes me shame, but that I will always be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past, and that my life will always honor Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living is for Christ, and dying is even better. Yet if I live, that means what? Fruitful service for Christ. I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. Sometimes I want to live. Sometimes I long to go and be with Christ. That'd be far better for me, but it's better for you that I live. I'm convinced of this, so I will continue with you so that you will grow. And look at this. Experience the joy of your faith. Then when I return to you, you will have e even more reason to boast about what Christ Jesus has done for me. But whatever happens to me, you must live in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ as citizens of heaven. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing side by side fighting together for the good news. I just love that last line. But could this description of the Philippian church be said of us? I hope so, and more and more as we grow and mature as a church. There is a joy that comes into our fellowship when we fight together for the good news. It is the work that brings us together, and it's doing the work together that brings us joy. Look at the underlined phrases there in the text we just read. You can look in your listening guide or probably on the screen. If we put this all together, we can start to see that the joy of the Lord can be experienced when we focus on the work. Notice the context about being bold in how we live for Jesus there at the beginning of the passage. These opening words indicate that Paul's talking about work that is to be done out in the world. When we focus our lives on honoring Christ, verse 20, in the world, there is joy. When we focus on living for Christ in the world, there is joy, verse 21. When we focus on fruitfully serving Christ in the world, there is joy, verse 22. In verse 27, we see two things. That as we focus on living in a manner worthy of our salvation in Christ, there is joy. And also, that when we focus on fighting the good fight for Christ, which happens in the world, there is joy. Focusing on the work we've been called to do together 
Our mission in the world can bring joy into our lives and into our church. Side note, hopefully July 4th, we will be setting up a booth downtown for Go Church. Uh, I've applied for it. Hopefully we will be approved. Did it last year. And we will be sharing with people, probably through spiritual surveys or some non-threatening way, but we will be sharing with people. And so um, save that date. You know, we'll need to take turns in this booth. Uh, only, only save that date if you can represent our church and the Lord well, which hopefully is all of you, but uh, we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to get out in the world. But we probably also uh, have need for volunteers that day. I'm going to see if, we, if they need volunteers for helping cleaning up. And, and we're going to get out in the world on July 4th here in Ridgefield and do some work together. Jesus said, the truth is anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. And the reason that's because he's going to be with the Father is because that's when he was going to send the Spirit who would give us the power to do greater works. But what are these greater works that Jesus said we would be doing? Obviously, we are not competing with the miracles of Jesus uh, and nobody ever has. So what did he mean? I believe Jesus always saw his greatest work as proclamation. De declaring the coming of the kingdom of God and the availability of salvation by grace through faith in the Son. We call this the gospel. And Jesus' greatest work was in proclaiming and living out that gospel. But how is it that we are doing this in an even greater way? Jesus was thinking of multiplication. He was talking about our global witness. Jesus' proclamation was limited to a relatively small crowds in a tiny portion of the globe called Palestine. But what happened, and is still happening through his followers, uh, the gospel is in the process of being preached to the whole world. At least in the sense of quantity, we are actually doing this in a greater way than what Jesus did, just as he said we would. But as it relates to this message, the question is this, are you doing this great work? Or are you expecting preachers and missionaries to do this work? The Bible knows nothing of a Christianity where every Christian is not doing the work. Are most Christians today focused on the work? Or just about anything else? What about you? It's really easy to say most Christians or Christianity or you know, the, these American churches. Or, what about you? Maybe you're really into being a Christian. I mean, it's, you're all about it. It's, you know, I'm a strong Christian. I have been in church, blah, blah, blah. I know the Bible. You're all about being Christian. Your faith is really important to you, but are you focused on the work or are you focused on what translation of Scripture I'm using today? Is that NLT? I don't know about that NLT. Sometimes they use that. Sometimes they use something else. Which one are you focused on? Your work or which translation of Scripture? Um, are, are you focused on your mission or my preaching style this week? We really like that Roman series, Pastor. That was real true expository stuff right there. We, are you focused on my preaching style this week? Or are you focused on your work in the world? Maybe, maybe this is actually a problem in the church. Keith, you think so? Keith is a pastor friend of mine. Didn't know he was going to be here. Welcome. Blesses me that you guys are here. We know it's a problem. People will focus on anything but the work. And I mean, I'm guilty at times as well. 
Ask yourself, what is the focus of my life? I mean, you're a Christian. Let's just, I'm talking to Christians right now. And you're, you're, you consider yourself a strong Christian. What's the focus of your life? Am I focused on the fight for the good news? The gospel, the salvation story that God came down to earth, died on a cross and rose again so that people could have a chance to have eternity and peace and life with God forever? Is that what you're focused on? And what does all this have to do with joy? I'm afraid no one here is convinced yet that there is joy to be found when we focus on doing the work. Why is there joy in focusing on the work of evangelism? Why is there joy in fighting this good fight by sharing the good news with people who are lost? I'll tell you why. Because right in the middle of that work is exactly where you will find Jesus. That's where he's at, y'all. He's after the one, not hanging back, gorging himself on grass in the pasture with the 99. Friends, anyone who shares the gospel actively in this lost world will tell you it's true that Jesus is there when you faithfully share. Hey, that rhymes. That's, maybe we could make a, a bumper sticker or something. Jesus is there when you share. I don't know. It's good to remember because it's true. If you want to experience the real, powerful, blow-your-mind presence of Christ, do the work. That's when you will know that He is with you. And see, joy is found in a fresh awareness of the presence of Christ. Are you hearing me? You want joy? Get, it there and get out there and do the work with Him. I promise you it's not empty rhetoric. As one of our sister churches puts it, Jesus is real. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus becomes more real to you when you join him in his work. By the way, I'm thinking that I may offer some training in evangelism and how to share your faith this summer. Would anyone be interested in something like that? Anybody? Okay, then. You can count on it, and I will count on you to participate. Let's move on to the second area of focus. To discover real joy, focus on the future. Focus on the future. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Paul writes, No, dear brothers and sisters, I'm still not all I should be, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. Paul says, focus all your energies, not on past events, but on what lies ahead, straining forward to reach the end of the race and the prize that God wants to give us in heaven. It's not only a call to focus on eternity, but also a call to focus on what you are doing from here to eternity, that which will earn you, not salvation, but eternal rewards. The prize. This idea of keeping your eyes forward rather than looking back is prevalent in the New Testament and certainly in Philippians. I do believe that looking forward to the future is one of the great secrets to discovering joy in your life. Looking back has certain benefits, but in general, you will not find joy in looking back. Why? Because it's over. It's all over. Kids grew up or whatever it is for you. 
whatever it is that you're looking back to, has a measure of sadness mixed in, doesn't it? I mean, isn't nostalgia often just a little bit misty? Maybe a bit cloudy? Joy comes in the morning, not in dwelling on the night before. Viktor Frankl is a Jewish concentration camp survivor who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. One of my favorite authors, Erwin McManus, sums up part of what Frankl wrote with these words. The torment and violence that the Jewish prisoners experienced were intended not only to kill them, but also to cause them to step into the end of their lives with nothing but despair. Yet Frankl discovered that there were those who had an unusual resiliency and unexplainable ability to stand under the weight that crushed so many others. There seemed to be a unifying theme among these individuals. They all had something yet to do, something left unfinished. This connection to a future responsibility seemed to somehow give them the strength they needed to endure the present hostility. In some ways, the dream allowed them to live through the nightmare. The dream for the future allowed them to live through the nightmare, the past, and the present. They were looking forward, not back. And not even at what stared them in the face. One of those survivors was Corey Ten Boom. And she emerged from the camps with a full faith vision to bring Christ to the nations, which she did as one of the great missionaries of our time. She survived the concentration camps by looking forward. Take it from a pastor who talks with many hurting people. Those focused on the past or even the present are generally sad. So many who don't experience God's joy in life are bound up either by things that happened years ago or by the difficulties of today, difficulties which we are promised will come to an end one way or another. You might have never realized it before, but the Bible does call us to focus on the future. Mental discipline is required, but no matter what you have experienced or are experiencing, you can do this. You can decide to look forward to focus on a hopeful future. Where does it say that in the Bible? We just read it a moment ago. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Could that be any more direct or obvious? This is what the inspired author of Philippians wrote while bound up in a dungeon. And in case I haven't been clear, the thesis of the book is how to have joy. This is one of the ways Paul stays joyful by focusing on the future. Some of you have heard that verse about forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead a million times. But my question for you is this. Do you ever actually do it? Have you ever really tried this? I mean, really. Ask yourself, do I spend more time thinking about the past and the present, or do I spend more time thinking about the future? Have I ever been willing to try to forget the past by looking forward to the future? Some people spend more time remembering the past than anything else, and I'm here to tell you that if that is you, it is very unlikely that you are known as a person of joy. The New Testament calls us to look to the future more than the past. That's the truth. The Bible clearly and repetitively teaches us to keep our eyes on the prize, looking to the horizon, looking forward to the promises of God and faith 
just like Abraham did and the other people of faith, looking for that city in the future, looking to the future, not dwelling on the past or even the present. Dare I say, forget the past. Sometimes that is exactly what we ought to try to do. Leave it behind. Focus on the future. And the point of this is not to stop scrapbookers from scrapbooking or to say that all nostalgia or remembrance is bad because those things can be very meaningful and helpful in other ways. But the simple point is this, and I will stand by this statement, you'll find more joy in looking ahead than in looking behind. As followers of Jesus, we're called to press on, straining to reach the end, he says, even to intentionally fan to flame our longing for the prize, which God has promised to those who long for his appearing. And why is there joy in this kind of forward focus for the Christian? Well, because ultimately the future for us is inexpressibly good. Somebody said something hurtful three years ago. If you think about heaven, does it really matter? We already know the end of the story, and ours is a happy ending. So again, where is your focus? Is it on this messed up, cursed, sinful, dying world? Or is it on your eternal future in paradise with God? Be honest. If your focus is on that future, I'll just bet you are a person of inexhaustible joy. I'd like to meet you, by the way, if that's you. I'd like to know you. Let's have dinner. Rub off on me with your unquenchable joy because you think about that future more than the past or present. Let's look back one more little point on this. Look back at chapter one. It's here too, verse 26. Live in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ as citizens of heaven. Talk about living in the future. You know, live as citizens of heaven. What, now? Really? Yes, already. In Jesus Christ, spiritually, you are already considered a citizen of heaven. You're an ambassador on earth. But your citizenship and your home is in heaven, where the prize awaits. Again in chapter 3, but we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take these weak mortal bodies of ours and change them. Somebody say amen. That's all the 40 and up crowd right there with me. Amen. Change this body, Lord. Change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same mighty power that He will use to conquer everything, everywhere. What are you focused on right now in your life? Your debt? Conflict with other people? Health issues? The decline of morality and family values in America? Donald Trump? Ocasio-Cortez, the Kardashians, your own fears and worries about what may go wrong. Regret for past mistakes, hurt from the past mistakes of others. Do those things bring you a lot of joy? Listen, to find joy in your life, focus on your future with God. Not the present and not the past. Look to the future. Like Luke Skywalker. Lastly, Never your mind on what you were doing. I went all Yoda there for a second. Lastly, to discover God's joy in our lives, 
We need to focus on the good. Focus on the good. From chapter 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned from me and heard from me and saw me doing, and the God of peace will be with you. Before I go further into this point, I hope you can see that all three of, all three of these areas really are about focus. It's all about where you fix your thoughts. Do you focus on the work, on the future, and on the good? If so, you have discovered real joy. The book of Philippians is filled with a call to focus on one thing over another. And the end result in every one of those passages described in different ways is a joyful heart. Notice this passage starts with an explicit command to be joyful. Paul says, always be full of joy in the Lord. And then he says, I say it again, rejoice. And you see, the rest of the passage is the how-to. How to do that. The rest of the passage is about focusing on the good. Listen, I'm not just trying to force this into my sermon today. Look at it. These verses are about being intentional and in where you focus your attitude and your thoughts. Look at what it says. Verse 4, rejoice. There's the command. And then we start getting into the how. Verse 6, don't worry. What's that really all about? Are you going to dwell on things that might go wrong in your mind? No, don't do that. Don't focus on that. Instead, remember, verse 6, second half, what God has done and thank Him. And then verse 8, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. And then the second half of verse 8, think about things. All about focus. Things that are pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise. It's about focus and it's about choosing as an act of the will what you will focus upon. Notice that we are called to focus not on the bad but on the good. The Word of God does not apologize here for calling us to positive thinking. Did you know God actually gave you a command to focus on the positive rather than the negative? Well, He did. And it's right here in Philippians. More than a command, God promises here that if you will focus on the right things rather than the wrong things, you will experience the peace of God, which really is just another way to describe the joy of the Lord. I've even used that as a definition earlier in this series, that it's more like inner peace than it is like happiness, the joy of the Lord. This, this is absolutely true. This principle is absolutely true, but it will only work if you actually practice it. When I get down, did you know I get down? I get down. When I get down, God sometimes reminds me about this passage. It's one of my go-to passages when I get down. I see some nodding heads. I've intentionally applied it before. I've intentionally applied it and experienced relief in the form of joy and peace. This, this, this works. Let's walk through it. Starting in verse 8 where it says, fix your thoughts, which of course is just another way to say what? Focus. And we're told to focus on whatever is true. For this one, I want to tell you to stop believing 
everything you read, online especially, and stop believing what you see on television. Email forwards and documentaries. Email forwards and documentaries are mostly lies. (laughs) How's that for a generalization? Even if these things are in line with your opinion, somebody set it up to try to prove something. A lot of it is untrue, at least twisted. There's more propaganda going around today than ever before in history. On both sides of every issue. Advertisements are not true. Did you know that? You're not gonna look like that person if you drink that thing. Advertisements are not true. Pictures of perfect women are not true. Romance novels are not true. Stop focusing on what is not true and turn your eyes on something that is true. Secondly, our text tells us to focus on whatever is honorable. Here's a random example. The United States military. No organization on earth is perfect. But those whose primary job is to protect us should be honored. Listen, there is evil in this world that would destroy us. If you don't think we benefit from an honorable military, try living somewhere that doesn't have one for a while. Go live in a place like Nigeria where Boko Haram runs wild. Ancient Israel had soldiers ordained by God to protect the nation, so do we. I'll add local law enforcement. Be thankful for those who deter crime and protect our freedom against evil as agents of God, according to Romans 13 and several other passages. Don't be naive. Give honor to whom honor is due. Thank God for those who honorably serve. Or you can focus on dishonorable people if you want, but don't expect to find joy in doing so. Next, our text tells us to focus on whatever is right. Obviously, the opposite of this would be to focus on what is wrong. Christians never do that. There's a time to hit problems head on. Think about it, but think, think about it this way. Does the media, and by that I mean everything being pumped into our head from every possible source, does the media focus on what is right more often or what is wrong? We all know the answer to that question. Maybe you need to turn off the TV or find something better to watch or read. If you want to discover joy in your life, work at spending more time focusing on what is right and less time focusing on what is wrong. Next, our text says to focus on whatever is pure. Sexual immorality is running rampant, as we all know. How much time do you spend thinking about that and talking about that? Maybe you should remember that there's still such a thing as purity and focus on staying pure rather than spending so much time griping and complaining about those who apparently are not. Spend time with God. Spend time with others who are pursuing purity along with you. 2 Timothy 2.22 is a good verse on that. You can look it up later. Focus on whatever is pure. Next, we're called to focus on whatever is lovely. For me, this can only mean one thing. I think about my wife. 
sees my definition of loveliness. If you're not married, maybe it's something like the beauty of art or of creation itself. Regardless, the idea is to focus on things that are beautiful and worthy of adoration. Focus on those things, not the things that might stir up hatred or disgust in your heart, but instead on things that are lovely. We're also told to focus on whatever is admirable. I could point out many things, but one example might be allowing yourself to look up to spiritual leaders. They will not be perfect, but they can be admirable. It's so sad to me when those who have done so much for Christ are torn to shreds by Christians who have no idea what they're talking about. It is a dangerous time to be a leader, I can tell you. I would hate to be famous. Even in Christian circles. Maybe especially in Christian circles. Today we're taught not to admire anyone. Every hero is turned down, torn down. We're not to admire Columbus, not Washington, not Billy Graham, never admire anyone. That's a safe play, it seems. We're taught that probably everyone is fake, that nobody is as good as they seem. Even great leaders of the past who were venerated for centuries are now torn to shreds by the smallest person with a blog. Don't listen to them. Those who lead and serve well are worthy of admiration. If they cannot be admired, they should not be followed. And if no one should be followed, we're, we're to become a world full of self-centered, communityless individuals headed toward the same barbarism which Christianity helped tame. Worse and more likely, fascism. If we do not select our leaders, they will select us. If no one is worthy of admiration, neither can any of us ascend which leaves us lost in fatalism. Now, I for one enjoyed that philosophical moment, but let me get back to the point. The principle here is that focusing your thoughts on something or someone worthy of admiration can actually be a path to joy and rejoicing. I think the reason is that it helps us recognize that all is not lost on this earth. Some things and some people are still worthy of admiration. Maybe they will let us down. Maybe everybody let us down eventually. Maybe that's true, but at least for a season, people can be worthy of admiration. If that were not the case, truly joy would be hard to come by in this life. Next, our text says, focus on whatever is excellent. So many ways I could go with this as well. But do you like good food? Pretty universal, I think. Good coffee, some of you. Um... Well, guess what? This passage tells me that is okay, even for, for a Christian. You know, I, I, I can actually enjoy some of these things. I can notice that, that, that it's excellent. I've recently fallen, lo- fallen in love with something called matcha. Uh, it's kind of like green tea on steroids. There's no steroids in it. Don't misquote me. But it's like green tea with power. It's, I'm loving that. Uh, I even was singing a song to my wife the other day as I was drinking a cup. I just went, matcha, matcha man. I want to be a matcha man. Okay. Good matcha. It comes in in quality levels. I like the highest quality. Thank you. 
It's excellent. Not only is it okay to enjoy the good things in life, but sometimes we ought to focus on those things. Take a vacation somewhere nice. Enjoy an excellent meal at a nice restaurant. Don't be afraid to take note of some of the things that are done well, even in this world. Take in a baseball game and appreciate uh, getting to witness that no-hitter or, or the night when someone hits three home runs. Anybody else coming to opening night up over here at the Raptors? I've already got my tickets. I'm excited about that. It's going to be fun. For the record, Christians are not called to be as unplugged and negative as possible. Did you catch that? Some of us need to catch that. Christians are not called to be as unplugged and negative as possible. Focus on things that are excellent. Even things that some, somebody might say are of this world. There's still a remnant of excellence in God's creation. He made it. Focus on these things. Rather than spending so much time focused on stuff that is messed up. Lastly, Paul says, focus on whatever is worthy of praise. Is there anything on this earth that's worthy of praise? Paul seems to suggest so. And must everything we would praise be religious? I think not. How about the accomplishments of our kids, grandkids, our nieces and nephews, brothers and sisters and parents? What if we were intentionally a little more encouraging? A little more, give a little more praise. If we gave a few more attaboys and girls, there's a joy to be found in noticing the good that others are doing. I think when Paul says we should focus on whatever is worthy of praise, that's pretty much what he means. It's worthy of praise, focus on it. Instead of focusing on things that ought to be reprimanded. Instead of focusing on things that need to be called out. Shouted down. That's, that's miserable. That's a miserable life when you focus on that. Focus on things that are worthy of praise instead. In general, all these phrases can be more or less summed up by saying we should focus on what is good rather than what is bad. Novel ideas. I've been very practical with all this because I think Paul really is talking about everyday life stuff here. <laughs> but somewhere through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I also think God wants us to realize that ultimately the only person and the only thing in this present reality which fully embodies all of these attributes all at once is Jesus Christ. Therefore, at a deeper level, I think we can say that the very best good we can focus on is Jesus. Jesus is true. Jesus is honorable. Jesus is pure. Jesus is lovely. Jesus is admirable. He is excellent. He is worthy of praise. So, where have your thoughts been hanging out? What do you need to do to help yourself focus on the good rather than the bad? Do you need to wean yourself from cable news? I'm done with it. I'll just tell you, I've been done with it for a while. Just done with it. I can't. Mm -mm. I'm not saying that's necessary. I'm not trying to our pastor made us stop. No, do what you make your own decisions. It's a question. It's just a question. Are you hooked on a video game filled with gratuitous violence or other things that are not good? How many hours are you focused on that? Do you need to change some of your inputs? What are you focused on? If you want to make a change, you'll have to make a change, right? If you don't make a change, nothing will change. 
Focus on the work, focus on the future, and focus on the good. I promise you that if you shift your focus to these things, you will begin to discover real joy in your life. With one very important caveat. This is only true for those who have been born again through faith in Christ. Why? Because as I've explained every week, joy is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you don't get his fruit if you don't have him. Jesus said he would send the Spirit into all who believe. And that is not a cursory belief, not just sort of like thinking Jesus might be real. I'll just check that box. Salvation comes through putting your trust in Christ as a person. Salvation is about a relationship. And it starts with a huge, obvious, life-changing step of faith on your part. Actually, it starts with God's grace. But that's already been done on the cross. What remains is for you to respond. Sometimes I say, I'm pretty sure everybody there knew the Lord. What a stupid thing to say. If I ever say that again, just slap me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about, there's been pastors who realized they never really knew Jesus and they just were playing games. It doesn't just, you're not just sort of, yeah, I've always been. No, the Bible talks about being born again. It talks about being completely and utterly changed from the inside out. Have you ever put your trust in Jesus Christ? Do you know when that happened? There's a rare, rare person who can't remember the exact time. It can, that can be true, but most of us remember because it was that big of a moment. Has there ever been a time when you put your trust in Jesus? Because, see, the Bible says that when you do that, you receive the Holy Spirit. He comes into your life, he starts changing you from the inside out, and you have access to things like joy. A different kind of joy. Again, remember, not just happiness or whatever you get when you buy a new car. This kind of joy that allows you to inner strength, the peace of God, the ability to overcome, to keep your head up. Those kinds of things that are pretty important in life, along with an eternal future in heaven, come when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Don't roll the dice. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.